I'm very impressed with what's happening right now. Hi, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to a brand new spanking episode of Opera After Dark. Up. Oh, okay. Nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it. I think everybody needs to know that Naomi just picked that out. Out of her butts. Out of her. Out of my brain. Yeah, she wasn't playing with her hands. She... <laughs> I was playing with mallets. <laughs> yeah, that was great. Uh, We're going to pack up the xylophone. So, yeah, Naomi Baratera, almost doctor, woman of many talents. <laughs> xylophonist extraordinaire. Hopefully you card. all recognize that as <clears throat> Green Z from The Troyata. And which, the reason that Naomi is playing that today is because we are going to talk all about difficult divas throughout history, a lot of whom... Thank you, Lacha Traviata, oddly enough. <laughs> yes. I wonder, is there and, a correlation? Hmm. Who can say? But this is part two of our Badass Women series. Yep. Yes. It so. could be argued that Violetta is A, a badass woman, mm-hmm. Yes. and B, a difficult diva. Mm, I guess. Maybe more of a, you're right, you're right. She's just doing She's her thing. She's a victim of circumstance. You're right. She's just you're trying right. to make the best possible life for herself, given the situation that she's brought up in, which is not great. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. All right, well, should we dive into some of our difficult divas? I think we shall. Last week, we had we talked about one woman for the whole episode. Because she was awesome. She was amazing. Because <laughs> <laughs> she was the badass. Wouldn't she that be was. an amazing Halloween costume? It's so easy, but no one would know who you yeah, were. Yeah, nobody would have any it's idea. True. But Can you'd you? be, like, warm. How great would that be, though, <laughs> if people are like, oh, who are you? And you're like, I'm Lama I'm Lama Pen. Duh. <laughs> And then they can ask, who oh. is that? And you can be like, sit down. She was Let a sword fighting opera singing. Of a 17th century sword fighting bisexual opera singer. <laughs> no, I would say, oh, there's this really great podcast called Opera <laughs> I have a t-shirt, you want to buy it? <laughs> <laughs> merch. It's our goal for 2017. Some merch. Yeah, some, some merch. merch. Yeah, some, some, there's, there's some merch in the works. It exists. <laughs> It exists currently. Naomi's uh, wearing Naomi. it. Yeah. <laughs> the only merch I'm testing it. is owned by Naomi. Hey, scarcity, right? You know. Right. It's a collector's item. Yeah. It, it is at this point. First run. Oh, we'll keep you posted at operaafterdark.com. Mm-hmm. All right. So, diving into our difficult divas. Mm. I'm going to start this off by saying all the difficult divas we have chosen are indeed dead at this point. Because we so, don't want to get oh, sued. Come on. We we also, you know, we we don't want to say bad things about no. living people, even about though living people. some of them are divas. 
Yeah, divas. There's a lot of divas. Yeah. But there was. I gotta say, I found like the best stories were really in the dead ones. The dead mm-hmm. So, <laughs> like those dead ones, they have some good stories. It's pretty good. Okay. Those dead divas. Ooh, that could be another one. That could be another one. Dead divas. Or or divas who die. All about ladies that die in opera. No. It's most ladies. Most That's female true. characters. I mean, die actually, opera. real people that died, or like opera characters that died. Opera characters that died. Well, it's like all of them. Yeah, all of the ladies. a lot of them. Mm, yeah, I guess you're right. All right, Naomi. Difficult diva number one. Yay! We are starting with Francesca Cusoni, and just for the record, we've said this before, but we, Elspeth and I, have not revealed any of this to Kyle, and yeah. so you're getting his raw reaction. And that the reaction you just heard was, I'm not sure who that is. <laughs> Come again? Which means, <laughs> well, she's what, a what, what? <laughs> she's a little before your time. Yeah, I was gonna so. say. I mean, when not be when was with she? Several of these. She was Active. born. Active. She was born in 1696. Died in 1778. Oh, so, so she's like late Baroque. Time. Good long life. Good long life. Yep. Yeah. So she was. Uh, one of the greatest singers of her time. She was kind of an early opera diva in the realm of opera. Mm-hmm. She was sought after by Vivaldi and Handel to perform their works because mm. they really, really loved her. Excellent. Um, however, she was known for having what some writers have said was a absolutely hellish temper. Mm. Mm. And so she pulled a lot of <clears throat> diva-ish stunts where she would just refuse to sing things that the composers had written for her. She was also extremely competitive, and she would verbally and physically abuse her fellow female colleagues and other singers. And so she had this reputation of having a bad temper, but she kept being forgiven over and over again because her voice was so beautiful and everybody loved her singing so much. Was it that great? I mean... It's hard to tell. Maybe it was a different time. I feel like if someone pulled that shit in this day and age, people would be like, nope. Well, I think physically harming people, maybe, but... I feel like it, this is going to be a trend with our difficult divas that they just do crazy shit, right? And then they, and it's, I guess, a it's different not time. Really I don't explained, know. You know exactly what the extent of her physical abuse was. Like maybe she was like hitting people over the head with her umbrella or something. <laughs> like we don't really know, right? So, or, or like whacking people with her fan, right? right. You so, suck. But so she would do things like just flat out refuse to perform arias that had been written for her. And when composers asked her why, she wouldn't give them any reason. She would just say, like, I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And there's a story that Handel was rehearsing with her. And he got so frustrated with her because she kept refusing to sing things he had written for her. And she wouldn't say why that he said um, he actually picked her up by the waist and like walked her to the window and said, if you keep this up, I'm going to throw you out this window. Nice. (laughs) God, wouldn't that have been great? Then he could have been part of our crazy composers. He didn't do it. Oh, man. I don't know why I wish that Handel was a murderer so bad. (laughs) I don't know. Good fodder for the podcast. So at one point, Handel called her a she-devil, and he said something like, but what you don't know is that I am Beelzebub, the chief of devils. Nice. So he and like stood he up to her. Would say, oh, 
He said that. He called her a she-devil, and he said, but what you don't realize is that ah. I'm Beelzebub, the chief of devils. Ugh. Nice. Yeah. I rule the devils. Okay, but the best story... That's what I always say. ...about her <laughs> is that... So she had this rivalry with another singer by the name of Faustina Bordoni, and so they were both really well-loved by Handel and other composers, and so they were apparently both cast in an opera, and it was June 1727, and mm. their rivalry was extremely public and well-known about. People called them the rival queens, mm -hmm. and sometimes there were even riots in the opera house, like supporters of one versus the other would get into riots and fights and mm -hmm. that sort of thing. It's like sports teams. Kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and so people like throwing their drinks at each other and such, and I'm sure nice. it got ugly. But at this point, particular night they were performing and it was in London at the King's Theatre in Haymarket and they were both performing they were both performing mm. and they were in a scene together and one of them just started like hurling insults in Italian at the other while and singing in the middle of the scene like I guess oh, something okay. just like erupted or one of them did something that you know ticked the other off gotcha. and so they got in like a cat fight on stage in the middle oh, of the opera nice. they just completely broke character and scene and just started insulting each other in Italian. And they actually started ripping each other's wigs off <laughs> on stage. Oh, and they needed yes. like the stagehands to come in and break up the incident and carry them off stage. And apparently the Princess of Wales was in the audience and she was less than impressed with their oh, no. crazy cat fight. Oh. And so it like abruptly ended the whole opera season. Like the whole opera season just got cut off because of their... Public display of animosity. Man. Yeah. And however, uh, Handel kept both of them on in his company and like kept casting them after this. Why? I think it's just like, you know, their scandalous yeah. behavior mm -hmm. was actually really good publicity. Totally. And like the rivalry was such a publicly fed thing mm -hmm. that. Right. Isn't that what they say? You can't pay for that kind of publicity. That's true. Like, yeah. So crazy that they had to shut the season down. Yeah. Well, the Princess like, of Wales does not that. stand for shenanigans. Right. Duh. Like ripping each other's wigs off. That's nasty. Yeah, Camilla Parker Bowles is not going to have that. No. She, she's, she's not the Princess of Wales, though. Yeah. Charles is a Prince of Wales. Yeah, but she's not the princess. Oh. There is no princess because it's a second marriage? Correct. I think that's why. Oh, I, I think have she's, no I idea. I thought she was Princess Camilla. No, I thought she was like a duchess of something. Duchess of something, yeah. Look it up. Oh. That's yeah, no, she is how not. slow I am about I'll work on it, but you'll have okay. to proceed. All right, so that is the crazy story of Francesca Cazzoni. Okay. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So, Francesca Cazzoni, catfight on stage with Faustina Bordoni. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to do a comparison at the end. Like, who was who the was craziest? Who was the worst? Who was the craziest? Yes. All right, so our next one is uh, Susanna Maria Kyber, I'm going to say, because mm -hmm. I don't know exactly how mm -hmm. to pronounce it. She was also a very legendary soprano just a little bit later than Cuzzoni. She was born in February 1714 and mm -hmm. died in 1766. Mm -hmm. And she actually started as a soprano and made most of her living and most of her legacy was built on soprano rep that she sang. But then later in life, she moved into the contralto range and then became really well known for her contralto rep. Just to end this circle, uh, yes. Duchess of Cornwall. Right. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. 
I feel like she can't. You can't be the princess of Wales unless you're, like, born in Charles's position, but you're a girl. Like you don't marry into it, and that's a title. But Diana you get. became Princess of Wales. Then I have no yeah. idea. I think it's. She's... I think it's because Camilla Parker Bowles was divorced when she married Charles. I think that's why, but I don't really mm. know. All right, shall we proceed? All right. So Bye. Susanna Maria Kyber. Mm-hmm. Will you give me her dates one more time? I was on Wikipedia when you. Yes, seventeen fourteen <laughs> to seventeen sixty six. Okay. So just for a little bit of context, she lived a little bit more than a decade into Mozart's life. Right. Great. Right. So, as I said, she was a soprano, made most of her legacy as a soprano, but then in her later years moved into contralto rep. Um, and she had already really risen to stardom as an opera singer and kind of a well-respected singer and an actress when in 1734 she married the actor and playwright uh, Theophilus Kyber, the son of Kali Kyber, mm. who basically ran, like uh, father and son, ran this theater in Drury Lane in London. Mm. Okay, so who she married into Drury Lane. Yes. You know the muffin, the muffin. The man? muffin. Oh man. right, yes. sorry. Oh, right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so. She marries into yeah, this... Elspeth is still sick, guys. <laughs> she is, This has yes. really been going on for a while. <laughs> a week later. <laughs> She's a trooper. So, she marries into this family of actors and playwrights, and uh, at first it seemed very beneficial to her career because it boosted her profile in acting circles and that sort of thing, um, and she started performing under the name Mrs. Kyber, and her father-in-law recognized that she was actually a really amazing actress. Mm -hmm. And so he coached her and helped develop mm -hmm. the acting side of her talents. Um, but over time, it became clear that her marriage was not a happy one. Ah. Uh, her husband was reportedly, reportedly extremely abusive. Mm -hmm. uh, he was an overspender, could not control their spending. He actually began selling her wardrobe and personal things in order to pay all of his debts. Um, but at the same time, like she was gaining traction as an actress, and people associated her success with like the that being, family. That family. Yeah. yeah. Um, even though her personal life was kind of in shambles, the professional side was going really well. And so then, because they were in such money trouble, they take in uh, her and her husband take in this renter or tenant mm -hmm. to pay money for the uh -huh. home, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. His name is William Slopper. Ha-ha! <laughs> <laughs> I bet and she sloppered all over him. Oh, Kyle. Oh, oh come on. Well, essentially. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nailed it. So, um, Susanna and <laughs> Mr. Slopper <laughs> have this... What a this, terrible name. Yeah, they get into this... Uh, affair, and there are many, many versions apparently that circulated in the scandal sheets of that time, like newspapers and gossip columns. Mm -hmm. nice. One account said that they had a menage a trois, the oh, three nice. of them. Another account said that Kyber. <laughs> <in> paper? <laughs> yes. That Kyber forced his wife at gunpoint to sleep with Slopper. Mm. And then another account said that Kyber, the husband, put a in the closet to watch them in order to catch them like red-handed in the act huh. and so all of this like came out in a lawsuit that was filed because Kyber just got so fed up with this adulterous affair that his wife was having that he brought it to court is this to like 
get money or to like be able to file for a divorce? Or both. Oh, okay. And but he was only awarded ten pounds <laughs> in damages. Um, but I guess then, actually at that time that was significant. I guess so. I mean, yeah, but not not a whole lot. Yeah. But the following year, he brought a second case to court because he claimed that Ky- that a slopper was detaining his wife and like preventing his wife from returning to him mm. because. Uh, it, and it was proven that Susanna and Slopper had run off together, and they actually had an illegitimate daughter together. Oh. Um, and at that point in the second lawsuit, uh, Kyber was awarded 500 pounds, which is pretty significant oh, mm-hmm. yeah. at that time. So why was Susanna Kyber a badass woman of classical music? So despite enduring this extremely unhappy marriage and really what was an extremely public scandal, she was Handel's favorite singer. Mm-hmm. Period. And period. Like nice. much more than Cusoni and Bordoni and the others. And so they actually met when Susanna was singing the role of Jael or Jael in the original production of Handel's oratorio Deborah. Mm-hmm. And they became Deborah. Yeah, I've never heard of Deborah. Oh, Deborah. And they became <laughs> based on the biblical story. Should we have a clip from what? Deborah? Deborah. Deborah. What does this sound like? It sounds like a Midwestern name. Yeah. Deborah. This, here is a little bit of the role of Jael or Jael in Deborah. From that, from that Handel hit, Debbie. Deb. As everybody refers to now as. Little Debbie. So, why was Susanna Kyber badass woman? Aside from her lifelong friendship with Handel, she's the favorite singer that he ever had. Uh, he, she actually did not read music at all. What? Yeah. That's not very badass. But 
Mm-mm. She did not read music at all, but yet Handel like patiently taught her all of her parts, note by note. Shit. And she sang in premier productions of some of the most important works by him, including The Messiah. What? Yeah. She was the premier contralto role in Messiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, she sang the role of Micah in Samson. She sang the role of Lycus in Hercules. She debuted the role of David in Saul. And oh, then wow. she also sang a lot of revivals under Handel's direction. She sang in a revival of Asus and Galatea, Esther and Alexander's Feast. And he also wrote the part of Daniel in Balthazar for her. But wow. she got really sick and she was not ever able to sing the role. Hmm. And so... Um, and then, like, after she had this string of successes working with Handel and singing, um, in 1744, she officially joined a Drury Lane theater group as the leading lady, the one that was managed by her father-in-law, and basically... Was this before or after she had extramarital affairs? This was after, I oh. believe. Oh. And so... She still maintained a good relationship with her father-in-law, gotcha. apparently. And well, and when she she was still married, right? They didn't like they never got divorced, right? I don't think they got divorced. Okay. So in any case, yeah. Proceed. So she had quite the life and just contributed hugely to Handel's output and yeah. was essentially like an inspiration to him. And even though she had this kind of period of great public scandal. So that's Susanna Kyber. But that was her only divaness was that she had a like public scandal. Yeah, she seemed to be otherwise like fairly well. <laughs> and also she couldn't read music. That, couldn't read music at that's all. That's pretty de- that would not fly today. I don't that's think. That's true. Yeah. Well, they said that they say that Pavarotti could not read music as well. <gasps> that's true. You didn't know that? I did not know that. Yeah. Oh, but he's so good. I know. But someone's teaching him things by route. This whole career, yeah. That's nuts. I just can't imagine. Yeah. yeah. Having to getting learn. hired and not being able to uh, read music. Yeah. Right. Okay. So pretty badass. Not the most difficult of divas. No, but other than in her personal life, mm-hmm. right? Hey, that's her own bag. Yeah. Okay. Who else do we have? Our next one. We're gonna start by listening to her. <gasps> okay. Yes. So here we'll play a little clip of her singing in La Sonambula. The Anon Credia Mirarti in 1906. Nice. So we'll listen to that and then we'll talk about her divanish, diva ishness. Oh. 
That's delightful. Who very, is that? Very pretty sound. <clears throat> that is Adelina Patti. Ah. Uh, yes. Whom it looks like from the YouTube video we have a lot of photos of. Mm-hmm. We do have photos of her because she was born in 1843 and died in 1919. Wow. Okay. So lived into the era of both photography and recording, uh -huh. right? Although the recordings are very, very early in recording yeah. technology, so therefore not the greatest quality. Mm -hmm. And also she recorded most of these things like in the last 20 years of her life or 10 years or so of her life. So not at like the peak of her voice, mm -hmm. but still people said that it was still quite beautiful and quite flawless. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she was another one of these kind of like superstar celebrities in her time. She was apparently extremely beautiful. She had a flawless voice, they say, with quite the range. And she had this reputation of being one of the few singers of this time that was also an incredible actress at mm. the same time. And so, but like other divas, she had a bit of uh, temperance and personality quirks. Apparently, she would, like, play tricks on other sopranos and colleagues so that nice. just do things to try and psych them out and make them not sing as well as mm -hmm. her. Oh, so it wasn't, like, good-hearted. It was no, it was with ill intent. Like it was with ill intent. Yeah. And she also insisted on being paid before she sang, and so if she didn't receive her payment... 12 hours before the current was going up, she would just refuse to go on stage. She would also charge like obscene amounts mm -hmm. to be engaged places. Mm -hmm. And as you might guess, she actually had quite a scandalous affair uh, in her life as well. And so there was this tenor. So she was married three times in her mm -hmm. life. Uh, first, she was married to a, uh, Henri de Roger de Cahusac, Marquess of Coe, and the nice. marriage uh, did not really last very long. Uh, both of them were caught having affairs, and so they actually had a legal separation um, mm. and divorced. And then, but when they finally dissolved their marriage, it cost her half of her fortune to divorce and get away from him. So, mm. really, pretty even crazy. though he was like had a title and all mm -hmm. of that. Yep, and then. Her second marriage was to the French tenor Ernesto Nicolini, but the scandalous thing is that she was having an affair with him for many, many years before they ended up getting married. And it was the kind of thing that like, everybody knew about it, mm -hmm. and she was not discreet at all in public, and they sang together quite a bit. And so the story goes that there was like suspicion amongst the public that she was having an affair with Nicolini, but then... They were both cast in Romeo and Juliet in Gounod's opera. Mm -hmm. And then they reportedly kissed each other 29 times during the balcony scene on mm -hmm. stage. And so this nice. was like proof. And they were extremely amorous. And so it was proof of their, um, you know, their mm -hmm. affair. That's kind of nice. Once again, can't pay for that kind of publicity. I'm That's sure true. everybody wanted to go to that Romeo and Juliet. Yep. And... Basically, as soon as they met, they met in St. Petersburg and in Moscow where they were singing together. And then basically from that point onward, they sang together all the time. It was, they were like a duo, dynamic mm -hmm. duo. Mm -hmm. They went on tours of the United States and South America together. And they ended up getting married, but they had to basically wait for her first husband to, for all that divorce proceedings to mm -hmm. go through yeah. before they could get married. 
And then that marriage lasted until his death, Nicolini, and was a, she thought everything was really happy and outwardly everyone thought they were happy, but he cut her out of his will. And uh, so when he died, she was left with nothing. Why did he cut her out of his will? We don't know. They say maybe there was tension. Why didn't she? <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Why didn't she have her own wealth at that point? I'm sure she, she did. Oh, she just didn't get, didn't get any of his. Didn't get any of his. And oh. there was no security for her. Who he died. was his successor? Like who? Who? The third husband? No, I, I like successor was, his... was the wrong word. Oh, who I'm not sure. Was mm-hmm. his... who, like who got the inheritance uh-huh. of his estate? I don't know. Huh. So, but not her. Because he didn't, they didn't have kids, right? I, I don't think so. Interesting. Okay. But anyway, and then her last marriage was in 1899, and that was to Baron Rolf Sederström, uh, a Swedish aristocrat who was many, many years her junior. Nice. And apparently he kind of curtailed her very active social life, but... Nerd. He gave her devotion and flattery as much as she needed and, like, supported her and basically stayed with her until her death. And then after she died, he married a much, much younger woman. Uh, so, huh. you know, Funny how that works, you know? Yes, mm. and they they had a daughter who was Adelina Patti's only child, and she had no children but was... Sorry, Wait, their only daughter, Britta Yvonne Sederstrom, ended up... Oh, I see. So Britta was not Patty's daughter, but she became her heir, I guess. Mm -hmm. Because Patty had no children, but she was very close with her nieces and nephews. And so, actually, I discovered that the Tony Award-winning Broadway actress and singer Patty Lupone is the great-grandniece and namesake of Adelina Patti. <gasps> wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And the story goes on. <sighs> so apparently she was also, Adelina Patti was known to be an incredibly amazing billiards player. Nice. And she would make like guest appearances at exhibitions and things and do like tricks with at the pool hall different ways of shooting a pool cue I don't know fancy shot displays is what they say so random yeah and she enjoyed billiards so much that she had a $2,000 billiard table installed in her home during her retirement that's a lot of money Um, back then yeah she also built a miniature version of Bayreuth in her home the opera house in Bayreuth and that's where a lot of her gramophone recordings are made that exist now. Were made in Crazy. Bayreuth. Her her mini Bayreuth. Where was that home? Oh, that was in South Wales, huh. where she purchased Craignos Castle. Nice. I know Welsh is a weird yeah. language. Everybody wants a castle. That's true. Yeah, a lot of maintenance. So do do you know of any of her specific like? Sabotage. You said that she would like play tricks on people to throw them off their game. Do you know? I don't know a lot points? of the specific things. Well, it does sound like if you want to be a badass woman in the opera world, you need to have like a random skill. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Whether she it's had billiards, fencing, billiards, billiards. Yeah. But interestingly, she was so incredibly 
popular, even though she had this turmoil in her personal life mm-hmm. and multiple marriages. She was an incredibly legendary singer, one of the, people say, the greatest of opera history. Um, people said that her voice was, or Rodolfo Caletti wrote that her voice was a technical marvel. The staccatos were marvels of accuracy, even in the trickiest intervals. Her legato was impressively smooth and pure. She connects the voice from note to note, phrase to phrase, lifting and gliding with an exceptional virtuosity. Her chromatic scale was deliciously sweet, and her trill was wonderful and solid. Mm. And they were, she was so popular that uh, Verdi actually really, really admired her mm-hmm. quite a bit and wrote that she was a stupendous artist. And she's mentioned in other works that were written following her or during her time. So she's actually mentioned or referenced in Anna Karenina by Tolstoy, in The Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde, in Nana by Emile Zola, um, The Village in the Treetops by Jules Verne, Pity Her First Hundred Years by Rachel Field, and apparently the song The Deadwood Stage Whip Crack Away, which was featured in Calamity Jane, both the film and the stage musical, mentions her as well or makes reference to her. Hmm. And wow. also La Vie Parisienne by Jacques Offenbach. Really? So, yeah. She was just like an, an icon of that particular era and strongly, strongly associated with this incredible technique in singing. Wow. So. That's great. Yeah. Excellent. Well, shall we, do we have one more diva, perhaps? Last one. Okay. So we do have others, but we're going to save them for another episode. Mm. Is Isabella Colbran <gasps> the wife of Gioacchino Rossini? Oh. Yes. So she inspired a lot of roles that Rossini wrote for her. And mm-hmm. so we have a really good sense of what her vocal capabilities were because he wrote so many of his mezzo roles for her. Her voice was apparently very sweet and mellow with a rich middle register. She had a mastery of trills, staccato, legato, everything like that, and she had quite the vocal range. And actually, when she first got into the operatic world, she arrived in Naples, which was a big center for opera, and she became the lover of the theater's uh, very coarse impresario, Domenico Barbaia. And at that time, weren't theaters also like gambling houses in the back? That's how they made yes. money. Yes, yes, they were. And really? Barbaya yes. was actually really well known for like running an extremely good gambling okay. enterprise within his opera house, and right, that's right. actually how he made bankroll a lot of the time. Man, why so, don't opera houses do that now? I don't know. Pretty lucrative. I mean, the opera industry was very expensive. Still is. Still very expensive, yeah. And there's a lot of wealthy people there often, so... Yep, a little casino in the back. Yeah. And so Isabella Colbran is known for having uh, a lifelong gambling addiction, and Mm. scholars think that this this is where it started because she got hooked up with Barbaya, and he was like the gambling king. So then while they are lovers, uh, Barbaya commissions Rossini to work in Naples for seven years. And when Rossini arrives there, he very quickly falls in love with Isabella, and he writes at least 10 or so operas with her in mind. And then around 1822, 
of Rossini and Colbrin left for Bologna. They get married, and Barbaya obviously gets left in the dust mm-hmm. in Naples. Nice. So apparently they were leave the man, keep the gambling industry. <laughs> right. <laughs> Love, man. And so she was very well off because she was extremely successful diva. Mm-hmm. She had very, very high fees. She owned her own estate. And when her father died, she was extremely stricken with grief and Rossini was very touched. And so he built her like this massive mausoleum in Bologna. And there's a statue there where it depicts her like weeping at the feet or weeping at the grave. And that's also where she's buried today along with Rossini's parents. Oh, wow. Is Rossini buried there? No, I think he's buried in Paris. I think. Man. Yeah. Well, he moved on. Well, their, oh, so their they, marriage yeah. was did not go all that well. Oh. It was rather disastrous. So Rossini was 30, and his career was, like, taking off. Colbrand was 37, but her voice was, like, pretty quickly deteriorating. <laughs> and so she funny. really did <laughs> still funny. try and sing, and Rossini yeah. still wrote stuff for her, but... People were kind of like, eh, this is really not that good. Mm-hmm. Right? She should really quit while she's ahead. And so the critics began to really like dig into her. And so she ends up uh, retiring at the age of 42 from the stage. She And then she kind of retreats from public life. And Rossini, of course, is like still wildly famous. So he's traveling all over the place. And he takes a mistress. And... And Colbrand ends up staying in their estate in Bologna, kind of separated from him. And her health uh, continued to deteriorate, and people believe that she contracted gonorrhea from her husband. So, yeah. And so she began to sell off whatever she could to support her gambling addiction, and she died in relative, not huge poverty, but relative poverty, apparently murmuring Rossini's name on her deathbed. Oh, no. Yes. What a bummer way to end this episode. I so know. Maybe we should tell a joke. Not Kyle. Her <laughs> <laughs> so her difficult divaness was gambling addiction? Gambling yeah. addiction, yep. And, and just starting to kind of suck. She started to deteriorate <laughs> and she perhaps Gone didn't have the... <laughs> It's horrible. It's like it's why does she fault. sound so bad? It's probably the gonorrhea. Oh, <laughs> uh, it's his fault. Uh. Yeah, but I mean, he lived with gonorrhea. He lived to a ripe old age. He did, and he also with like gonorrhea. ate a lot, yeah. and gonorrhea. and also Elspeth and I read somewhere that she had a drinking problem too. But then we were saying, well, if you lived with Rossini, he like ate like and drank all the time. Yeah. yeah. So so if she was in like towards the end of her life if she was in poverty so did they divorce did I don't I don't they never divorced he just left her by the wayside I think they just Mm -hmm. lived separate lives and she was not necessarily impoverished but she had this crazy gambling addiction so she was like selling things to try and feed that addiction yeah but after she died he remarried Mm -hmm. nice like an artist model right yeah yeah so there you go makes me sound like a jerk doesn't it (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> he remarried yes <laughs> to an artist Nailed model it. Yeah, she was younger than he was oh uh. <laughs> alright well that's not how we want to end the, no. the, the badass women session but nonetheless we're she 
she inspired amazing things. Yeah, from can him. we? What so, roles? Come on, give us some roles. Rossini wrote for her um, the title role in um, Elizabeth, Queen of England. Ooh. Um, he wrote Desdemona in his version of Othello. Nice. Othello for her. Nice. Um, Armida in Armida. Uh-huh. Elena in La Donna del Lago. Oh. Uh, Zelmira in Zelmira. <coughs> um, what's another one? El, uh, Elchia in Moses in Egypt. And the other ones are operas that I've never heard of. Okay. <laughs> She's a badass muse. She's a badass muse. Yeah, indeed. and she was an incredible singer when she, she was, was in prime. And then, you know, the gonorrhea and the drinking and the gambling and you know, the gonorrhea. Those things. <laughs> D, all of the above. D, all of the above. Yeah. All right, well, we'll be back next week with some more badass women. Mm-hmm. Is that going to be the final? The We're third not sure and final? yet. <laughs> we we'll don't know. We're we like, play it by ear. We like to keep it open-ended yeah. like a lot of these badass women. <laughs> no? I mean, what like... What does that mean? Like they had, like, a lot of extramarital affairs and, you know... Oh, know. I didn't know what you were talking about. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it was a stretch. Oh, well. So sue me. Wow, we, re- we need to end this before it gets worse. It gets bad. Naomi, play us out. What should I play? Hey, uh, before Can that. Can I just yell something and you'll be able to I'm play gonna it? Try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. It might wait, be wait, horrible. But before that, make sure you uh, like us on that's Facebook, right. mm-hmm. follow on Twitter, check out the blog at operaafterdark.com. Mm-hmm. And we'll see you. Oh, and please leave a... A very kind review in iTunes. That would be swell. Yeah. Other, play. Yeah. Okay. Oh, and then now Naomi's going to play us out. It with might be horrible. Some play. roulette. Yeah, go ahead. Bonafone uh, roulette. Yeah. Una voce poco fa. I don't know. That, that was, was That was pretty good. Wait, we should do another. We What's should an do easy a, one? La Donna Immobile. Mm. Let's see. by ear. I tried. That's really fantastic. And with that, thanks for listening to this episode of Opera After Dark. Si, 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 si,
separate. Do you want to listen to it? Yeah, yeah, I do. Some, I'm really curious. I have heard that of that work before, but obviously I've never heard of it. I have, actually. I have. Deborah. Dubs. Honey. Yeah, I feel like... Five thousand years of Chinese music and dance. It's not that. <laughs> is this Shen Yu? <laughs> yes, it is. Man, they advertise that. Crazy. Jeez, he's ripping off himself again. Uh, this sounds like every other thing that I've ever heard. Is this Messiah? I think he used it again in Messiah. Yeah, he used it again in everything. One. Is it in English? An aria called <laughs> I am Debra. <laughs> Hi, my name is Debra. Hang on if I find one of her arias. Hi, I'm Debra. I just imagine like <laughs> Debbie Voigt doing it. <laughs> Call me Debbie. Call me. We have enough to go off of. Ooh. Get the fuck over here, Deborah. <laughs> what is this about? The biblical story of Deborah. Are you being serious? Which yeah. Is Which is what? I'm Jewish. I don't know. I'm not Jewish. So I still don't me. know. <laughs> exactly. I still don't know. I guess we can leave it at that. I, I could do this all night. Maybe we will, but <laughs> that's more, all for now. One more. Uh, Pick a hard one. Has to be something that's like way like an upper. Oh, um, 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 from Barber the. Uh, Largo factotum. The, yeah. Oh, that was so hard. Come on. You said ping on. Overture to the Marriage of Figaro. Still, <laughs> quite impressive. Okay.